Welcome to the 206.com podcast. I am your host, Mark Morin, and you are listening to Diversity in Film, a 206 podcast series. This podcast series features in-depth interviews with filmmakers and industry experts discussing the topic of diversity in film. Look for episodes featuring director and activist Lin Chen, director and producer Emily Ting, executive director of the Northwest Film Forum, Vivian Hua, rapper Lex the Lexicon Artist, podcast host and film critic Isabella L. Price, world-renowned Disney film producer Don Hahn, director of marketing for Smart House Creative Amy Simon, film critic and podcaster The People's Critic Tim Hall, lifestyle blogger and film critic Aaron Hunley, actor, activist, and model Anna Lynn McCord. Thank you for listening to the 206.com podcast. Let's get to the interview. This is Mark Morin with 206.com. This is the 206.com podcast. Today's episode, I am speaking with the Seattle famous, world famous people's critic himself, Mr. Tim Hall. How you doing? I'm well, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. So thanks for being here today. First thing I want to do is introduce you a little bit to the listeners. You know, mm-hmm. Just tell me a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're coming from in the film world and, and critics world here in Seattle. Uh, okay. Well, my name is Tim Hall, obviously. Born in Oakland, California. California kid, moved here with my family years ago. Since then, we've all dispersed. Uh, I've remained as, as, the, as the lone Seattleite. I don't know, when I was 19, I started working at a, at a movie theater, the Regal on 7th Avenue, back when it was like the only thing downtown. Because <laughs> uh, New Market closed, it was down on 2nd. There was really nothing. So I worked there, and I think being there for about a year and a half, I just sort of fell in love with film. I just kept the movie. That sort of became sort of this passion of mine. I started watching stuff my friends weren't watching. I started getting into like directors and film series and genres. I started sort of drilling deeper into movies because before I was like everyone else, right? I'd go see Independence Day. I'd go see all these big blockbuster <laughs> films, but I wasn't like, let me look at like some really weird Korean film and like, right, right. I can get from it. So that's where that started. Fast forward, I just sort of became like, the friend who everyone knew who loved movies, I was doing really silly stuff, man. I was like doing, <laughs> I was like doing like diaries for like BT Awards. And then um, the Seattle PI had this thing for their reader bloggers and was like, hey, if anyone's interested in doing a blog, email us. So I emailed them and was like, yeah, I have this idea, like just doing this movie critic blog thing. And they're like, okay. And so that was kind of that. So I'm doing that for a couple of years and then I get an email from one of our PR agencies that's like, hey, we're doing interviews with Michael Jai White. Can you come do this interview? Who's like to watch the movie? It was Black Dynamite. Who's like to watch Black Dynamite interview Michael Jai White? Now, being a newbie, still, I I was thinking it's gonna be like we're all in the theater after the movie and people raise hands and ask questions. But it ended up being after the film, Ginger at the time was like, hey, can you just wait here? And I was like, I'm I'm gonna bring Michael over. I was like, wait, what? He's just like, I don't got like 10 minutes with him to ask questions. So as I'm leaving, she's like, hey, if you want to get accredited, just, you know, email us. You have to apply. So I applied. And so since then, it's just been press stuff and, you know, SIF and 
all kind of weird stuff and comic cons and interviews and it's been fun and, and also you know the community of people that you meet whether it be someone like yourself or people in our Seattle Film Critics Society or just the people you see consistently at screenings uh, it became sort of a life of its own that's how I got here and then started podcasting started doing some podcasting with some friends and then we decided at some point they want to do a podcast about 80s movies so we started podcasting about the most random 80s movies but yeah so that's been fun man it's it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and then you had mentioned your blog on the pi mm-hmm. that's the people's critic on there is there any yeah. type of a story behind the the name or you appreciate this they asked me for a bunch of names they're like hey what you want to name your blog give us an idea give us a bunch of names to choose from so it's not a bunch of names I forgot the wrestling, but the People's Critic came from, I'm a big wrestling fan. So I was like, what if I was, instead of the People's Champ, like The Rock, what if I was the People's Critic? And that's where it came from. And it sort of... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's obviously catchy as something that's known. So yeah, and I, I know from getting to know you over the years that wrestling is a big part of, of you know, the pop culture that you like. So that's very it fitting. Is. Now, Seattle Film Critic Society, I think yeah. you you came in on the ground floor with that a couple years ago. Like, where do you see that, you know, as part of what you do overall being a film critic? I think having a community is important because I remember when I first started, I just really just didn't know where to go. And I didn't really, you're kind of just out there and you're showing up at screenings, you don't really know anyone. But I think having a society that can bring people in, can sort of get them resources, can kind of like move them around the space because it can be a weird space because you don't necessarily know how these things go. The sense of community, I think, is really what's important yeah. there. I think you were one of the first people I met it might have even been through Twitter, you know, yeah, through all problems. the connections and stuff like yeah. that. And so you, you've you been a big part in, you know, my journey through all of this and, and everything as well. So I appreciate that. Getting straight to the, the topic at hand, diversity mm-hmm. in film, I'm going to throw it out there. When, when you hear that phrase, diversity in film, what, what are your first thoughts and what does that mean to you? First thing I think about is diversity of ideas as well, right? Because I think putting a, 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 a transgender person or a person of color or... Uh, a, a woman in, in a role is fine. But I think if you dismiss their ideas and their lack of experience, what's the point? You know, right. at least often, like if I if I want to put you in a film, you can have a film that's got an all black cast, but if the story isn't true to that experience, what, do you, what are we doing? Yeah, that's what? a really good point. Is there's a lot more to it than just, you know, filling quotas, I think is, yeah. is where, it's been in the past. What do you feel has been the biggest change over the years when it comes to how Hollywood and the entire filmmaking industry looks at diversity? I think they're realizing that it's it's profitable. I think there was always this idea that like films with people of color wouldn't sell overseas. You remember when Sony got hacked? There was a whole conversation in that email thing about how they, they weren't sure that Denzel would sell overseas. That's right. But they don't think Denzel is going to sell overseas. <laughs> what does that mean for these other black actors and actresses coming up? If Denzel can't get the heads of Sony to make them believe it sells. But here's, I'll tell you something that I, so we did a press tour for Crazy Rich Asians, right? John Chu was here with Henry Golding. And we were talking about the idea that like you go, like I went to Africa, right? But I never felt more American than when I was in Africa. Here in America, you don't necessarily feel at home because pe- people remind you constantly that you're black. Whether you want them to remind you or not, it's how people treat you, how people look at you, you will feel it. And then you get you get to Africa and you're like, well, I don't, this isn't home. I, I feel connected, but this isn't, you know what I mean? This isn't my right, right. So we're having this conversation. And one of the things he said was, I was telling him about, Chadwick Boseman was saying in an interview during the Black Panther press that when he got off the plane in Seoul, Korea, everyone was decked out in their like traditional like Korean garb. 
Because when you look at Black Panther, it's traditional African garb. And he was like, that resonated with people. These people aren't from Africa. They resonated with culture and like things that are culturally specific. And John Chu got all teary-eyed. He was like, that's what I'm trying to get people to see with my movie, Crazy Rich Asians. Like there are things that are, that are specific culturally that we all experience. They have nothing to do with the fact that, if you look at Crazy Rich Asians, it's about a guy wanting to marry a woman that his mom isn't necessarily too keen about. And there's a rift. It just happens to take place overseas and it happens to have an all Asian cast. But the actual story is something that resonates with a lot of people. And what you'll see oftentimes in Hollywood is, you'll even see it with press. And I love press people as being one of them, but they'll look at films that have an all black cast and assume that they're one thing without having to dive into it and say, well, what is this movie actually about? Or they'll look at a female director and say, can't get into it. Like, I mean, you'll see weird stuff. Like, people hate Brie Larson and they hate Captain Marvel. And it's weird. Did you love Captain Marvel? Maybe, maybe not. But is it like the worst trash ever? No. Is Brie Larson terrible? No. But they start these weird things about. And it happens with quote unquote diverse films, right? It happened with Brie Larson in, 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 in Captain Marvel where people were saying that, that Disney was trying to replace her despite her movie making a billion dollars. It happened with Star Wars, with with, with um, saying Kathleen, Kathleen Kennedy was going to get fired. It's And it's unfortunate because when studios actually put money behind these projects, they make money. They make a lot of money. And look at even The Hunger Games, having a female, strong female lead as the center of a, I was going to say trilogy, but it was what, four movies. And yeah. it was some of the biggest blockbuster movies of yeah. the year. Each year those movies came Each out. Each year so, they came out. Yeah, yeah so that, that was a huge factor in the shift. And I'm glad you mentioned both Crazy Rich Asians and Black Panther, because I really feel like those two movies in particular are real benchmarks. And for all of those people in the theater, it really seemed like a special event. Everybody was dressed up, you know, you could say like their their Sunday best clothes. And it really felt like something special was happening at the time, you know, as each of those movies was coming out. And like I said, it, it just felt like a real turning point to see those faces on the screen in the context that they were and especially with black panther of just the lengths that they went to of the wardrobe and hair design and just everything about those movies was like here's a completely different look at people who are normally the sidekick the villain the the martial arts guy the the gangster that type of stuff how do you feel about those two movies coming out in you know relatively similar time frame and causing that type of a change but I think, and I think you mentioned sort of the costumes, that you think the costuming and production design. And I think that's where diversity is also important because you're bringing in people who don't normally get that opportunity to be a part of a gigantic Marvel film. So Ruth E. Carter comes in and does the costumes and she's phenomenal, but she gets to have that on her resume. Yeah. Think of it as a, as a resume, right? If you're John Chu, this is now on your resume that you did this blockbuster film, right? It's hard. You can't deny. You can't deny the blockbuster it did. You can't deny the accolades. So yeah. next time you're down to do a project, maybe it's not quote unquote crazy rich Asians or something like that. Maybe it's a horror film. Maybe it's a romantic comedy. Maybe it's something else. I don't know what it's going to be, right? But you, you look at Henry Golding, right? He, he kills it and he ends up in all these other projects. <laughs> exactly. And he's not playing an, an, an Asian guy, but but what I noticed is what we don't see, and we're seeing now, especially through him, are Asian men as love interests, like being like desirable, being these men that women want to be with. Right. Being relationships like that. Because before it was just martial art flicks, and when they were in films, they were very asexual, where they didn't 
but you, you watched uh, what's that Aaliyah movie with Jet Li? Romeo Must Die. They like they hugged him. You know what I mean? I mean yep, it, exactly. Like, <laughs> after he saves the day and saves the girl, he kisses Aaliyah outside with all the police. That's the moment, and they don't kiss. And I make right. that choice, right? So I'm glad that we're seeing a, a, a switch in that. And even like with a lot of a lot of women playing these very badass action stars, we're seeing it. There's no reason Emily Blunt shouldn't be an action star. There's no reason these people can't be action stars. There's no reason why they shouldn't. Why we couldn't have a female Bond. But people are just missing the opportunities to do so. There's so many, there's only so many opportunities out there to act and be something. And so when those are gone, when they're taken up by the same types of people all of the time, there's not space for you. There can only be one. So there's only one Denzel. We don't have time for anybody else, despite the breadth of talent that's out there. I was watching Little Fires Everywhere. Like, and Tiffany Boone is in that, and she's fantastic. It's Tiffany Boone, it's Carrie Washington, I forgot the young woman who plays her daughter. They're all phenomenal. And you look at these other kids, the Reese Witherspoon's kids in the film, they're all great on the show. They're all great. So seeing these young people get an opportunity to sort of be great is helpful. And we got, you know, with streaming services like Netflix and Hulu, who are able to sort of take chances on these films, you know, small studios like A24. Because think, think of Moonlight, right? Moonlight is a oh, great gosh. about an African-American male who's figuring out his sexual identity through childhood up until adulthood, trying to get a grasp on who he is. No major studio's picking that up. It's an award-winning film, but A24 picks it up because they're independent yeah. and they can run with it. And that's the important, so you, okay, you can have diversity in front of behind the screen. You can have diversity in, in cast. You can have diverse writers or diverse writers room. But if you don't have people who are willing to share that story, you're at a, you're at a roadblock. You've got this amazing project that's sitting there. When Barry Jenkins puts that out and then he has the opportunity to do a Bill Street talk, you know, he's inspiring other young people to do the same, that I can tell my story that's specific to where I'm from. That's about, maybe it's not about South Florida. Maybe it's not about New York in the 1960s. Maybe it's about 1980s San Francisco or 1990s Oakland. And I can tell that story and people will listen and people will watch it and people will, will love it. So when you talk about diversity, there's so many different layers to it. And I also want to remind people, it's not about leaving people out. It's about providing other people with opportunities. They think it's that something's being taken away. Like imagine this big piece of this big pie and there's pieces everywhere. And it's just allowing other people to get a piece of that pie. There's still pie for you. There's still opportunity for you. It's not going, you're not going anywhere. You're not gonna die as an actor. If we were, if we were looking at the ways in which these movies that are, to be fair, like most of the world is, is brown. There are brown people of all kinds of shades across yeah. the world, right? We've centered Europe, we've centered America as like the center for everything. So when you put when you're putting these different shades of brown people in your films and they travel the world and they make billions of dollars, you would think that they would make more of these films because they're making a bunch of money. But they don't. They pour a bunch of money into a bunch of stuff that's just not gonna work. Another Transformers movie, another whatever. But like you're looking at this thing and saying, This is insanely popular and profitable. We should probably make more of these films. I'm glad you brought that up a minute ago about how it's not just about those faces that you see on the screen while you're watching the movie. It's about the people in wardrobe, the people behind the scenes. <laughs> I think that should also extend to the decision makers that you're talking about, the people who are in charge of studios, the people who are head of major corporations that are telling, you know, even the studio heads, you know, hey, this is what we want your product to look like. There needs to be diversity there as well, because if you just have the same, the older white male is running 
running those shows, they're going to be dictating a lot of what they want those products to be. You know, when you see something like Netflix being able to do what they're doing and allowing creators to just create. One of my favorite movies from last year, not a Netflix movie, but was Queen and Slim. That was kind of a, a really different take on the classic Bonnie and Clyde story, but put in a current setting Mm -hmm. you know, with race as a topic, with black people as the leads. And it really just changed the dynamics of what that story was all about. And for me, a lot of the things that they talked about in that movie, you know, really hit home and probably for a lot of people in a lot of different ways as well. But I also think when I look at the landscape of films, like these films should be able to fail. Queen and Slim should be able to be terrible at the box office. And Lena Waithe, because she's talented, she be able to get more opportunities to make more things. Tyler Perry should be able to put out terrible movies that make money and keep creating more things. Because that's what's been happening for everyone else. Like, you should get the opportunity to do something. Like, it doesn't have to be great. Because the films we're talking about are great films. Right. No one can deny that. Right? But, like, Barry Jenkins should be able to drop a stinker of a film. It's <laughs> an opportunity to go to a studio and say, hey, I have another idea. Because other people get to put out stinkers of films and, and cash another check and get another opportunity because people see the vision in them. And that's the other part of it. Like, I think diversity is the ability for you to fail at something, whether it be a bad movie, whether it be a bad script, and still have more opportunities for work instead of you being like, oh, can't make another film like that because the one thing he did was was terrible. You see that all over the place where filmmakers and even you know actors and actresses, you see them once and then they're gone because that's exactly it. They're not given another opportunity. And then you see when major franchises, stuff like Star Wars, Marvel, they announce upcoming directors and you're like, what? What did that person do in the past, if anything? And when they did something, oh my gosh, it was terrible. Why, why are they giving another chance or getting another chance and not somebody else? And my friend Chris always says this and, it, and it, it's so true. Superhero films is where we're starting to see this diversity that we talk about. Yep. Starting to see female leads. We're gonna we're starting to see different we we've got, you know, Black Panther and other movies that are coming. We're starting to see like someone like Taka Waititi getting a big budget Thor film. Someone like Ryan Cougar getting Black Panther. Someone, you know, these smaller directors getting an opportunity to do something great and be on this grand stage. And we're seeing it, you know, whether it be Patty Jenkins doing Wonder Woman getting these crazy opportunities to do these incredible films and work with these great actors and actresses on something that's going to be a tentpole film is used. There's nothing like that. You can't replicate that. You can't replicate the fact that you're doing this humongous film for Disney and the world is watching. Yeah, I remember, I think it was two years ago, there was a film at SIF called um, Dead Pigs. The director is Kathy Yen. And, um, and then all of a sudden, a year later, it was announced she was going to do Birds of Prey. And I really liked Dead Pigs. It was a really fun, yeah. kind of wacky, off-the-wall off the type movie. So as soon as they announced that, I was like, that is brilliant. Exactly. Because it's Dead Pigs, Yen, to me, completely translates to what a Birds of Prey movie should look like. And then when the movie actually came out, it is exactly what it should have looked like. In most respects, thanks to her ideas and her direction and the, the passion and energy that Margot Roby was bringing to the table as well because I know she Margot Roby has been working on that movie even yeah. before the first Suicide Squad came out she's yeah. been pitching the idea and wanting to get it out there so yeah. I thought the movie was great for but, a lot but, of but, different but, reasons so it was great it, to see it, that and Margot Roby's a good example we all agree she's a great actress right times has she been a lead in something I Tanya 
Yeah, other other than that, she's like a love interest or yeah. part of an ensemble, or, or yeah, or part of an ensemble cast, or like a, a, a you know a supporting actress. So this is her chance to be a lead. I'll never forget watching actors on actors on Hollywood. It's one of my favorite things to do around the Oscar time. It's different yeah. actors asking questions, and this one was um, John David Washington, Denzel's son, and Mahershala yeah. Ali, and they were talking. Mahershala was saying something. He was talking about Green Book. And he was saying that is the most screen time he's ever had in the film, a supporting actor. Said, I've been in a lot of stuff, but this was the most screen time I actually had. And it was hard to turn down the opportunity to be on screen that long in what was going to be a big film. Right. Talked about True Detective, and he was saying, even after winning the Oscar, I had to pitch myself as the lead for True Detective. I had to pitch to them that, like, I can be the lead, here's why. There were black cops in the 80s. My great, my, his uncle or somebody was one, and I showed him a picture. But, like, he had to show up and, and pitch them. Oh, he gets to be the lead in Blade. I, I think people discredit what it means to be a lead in your own project. And there are far fewer opportunities for people and they're lesser for people of color, lesser for women to be a lead in something that's going to be a hit or at least the studio is pushing it with all of its might to be this thing where you've got your own character posters and you've got a ton of interviews, you're doing a ton of press, like that kind of exposure is insane. Many people get those opportunities. So to see these comic book movies really push for that kind of diversity. They're the new summer blockbusters, right? Whether coming out in May or whatever. I'm trying to think of the last movie I saw with Carl Johansson was a lead, but she gets to be a lead in Black <laughs> It's, you know, th- there'll be a ton of people who come on board and there'll be things, the problem you, you have with, with people on the internet is like, if something fails, it's looked at as like, we can't make this anymore. Look at, look at how diversity in Hollywood has failed. But you don't say that when like, a Vin Diesel movie bombs. No one right. is going to say, well, well, Bloodshot didn't do well. Guess we can't put Vin in any more movies. Guess we won't make another Fast movie. No, they're going to keep doing oh, the no. movie. <laughs> you, just move, you, just, you just roll on with it. Exactly. Uh, and that's the thing you end up running with is, is people on the internet and people with, I'll never forget, dude. Before Captain Marvel, or even like right after it opened, I just searched on YouTube, Captain Marvel bad. And it was all these videos. And <laughs> I don't even know if we had screened it yet. So it was early. It was all these people, like my friends sent me a video and I love him to death. We sent me a video of this woman complaining about it. And it was all these assumptions about she's gonna kill Thanos and all this stuff. And I was like, don't ever send me a video of somebody critiquing a two minute trailer and trying to tell me what the movie's about. I think what happens oftentimes is people who critique these things often dismiss the motivations of the creators as to why they're making yeah, right. people don't people don't look that deep into it to see what's really <laughs> coming from the creative aspect of it. I remember I interviewed this guy at SIF one year, and he had this movie about this young man who was in love with this other guy who was like a, the son of like a, a head fund guy who was like a Bernie Madoff type, this unrequited love story. And what it came about when we talked about it was, it was essentially him telling his life story about this dude he fell in love with at film school. So we had this whole crazy conversation about, this was essentially about my life. Put it out there, and that's his motivation. It's that's it. That's why he made the film. That's why the story is the way it is. It was about his life, and it was sort right. of twisted into the different story. But the, the crux of it was his love for this guy who didn't really love him back. And I was like, oh, okay, your motivations aren't what anyone was even thinking they were making this film. And I think people dismiss it because they want to dismiss the project in and of itself. And they want to. Yeah, dismiss- that's the thing is people will find ways to spin the story or just make it fit their narrative rather than trying to see 
what's really being presented. They just look at it from their own lens. They, that's that's all they can really see. But the world, uh, the world around us is diverse, and I just implore people just to just embrace diversity in the content that they take in. The people around it, there's plenty of strong women. There's plenty of gay and, and LGBTQ people running around. There's plenty of people everywhere. So when you see it in your films, on your TV, just embrace for what it is. It's what's happening outside your windows. It just happens to be on your screen now. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Is It, it really is a more true and accurate representation of, of what life is right now. And mm-hmm. I think uh, Hollywood, as much as they're trying, or as much as Hollywood is catching up, is there's I think there's still a long way to go. Well, there is. There's a long way to go, for sure. But I, I, I love what I'm seeing now. I'm enjoying um, seeing these young actresses and actresses get opportunities. I'm enjoying the, the stories that are told. And I think a lot of streaming services, services have really helped being a platform for people to put their products out there and not have to go through the normal channels of like selling a script and getting getting some big time director and getting Ben Affleck involved. Like you can shoot something. Like I, I'll never forget, um, what's his name? Who did Master of None? He says he's pitching Master of None. What, what's his name? What am I supposed to, uh, Aziz, I'm sorry. So Aziz is pitching Master of None. He says he pitched it to a bunch of people. Everyone wanted, everyone was interested in the Aziz show. The normal process is you pitch a show, it goes to upfronts and people, you know, you shoot a pilot, whatever, and maybe CBS, NBC, Fox picks it up, you or some cable network, FX, whoever, right? But Netflix was like, yeah, we want to make the full season. So they, they shot the full, so he was like, as a creator, they're taking this idea and they're letting me shoot 10, 12 episodes. I'm not concerned about it being canceled. I'm not concerned of like, people move out to Hollywood to make this show and then five episodes in, they're like, eh. We're not getting, and the ratings are different, right? The, the markers are different. So I'm not looking at ratings every week wondering, man, are we are we gonna get canceled? So what comes out of that is, you know, you bring in Lena Waithe as a writer who then wins the Golden Globe and then starts creating stuff like Queen Slim and all those other products she's working on, right? So this, this is why having diversity in a writer's room, that, a, a platform that believes in putting this, this stuff out there helps. It starts with Aziz and his pitching his show and it ends with Lena Waithe working with Daniel Kaluuya and Jodie Turner-Smith to make this crazy Queen Slim film, right? These things are like five, six years apart, but that's what happens when you invest in people and you invest in diverse ideas, right? It starts, it's like a tree, right? It starts producing other fruit, other places. They're gonna carry the torch on. So she doesn't, so Lena Waithe isn't stuck doing Aziz's show anymore. She now is doing her own shows and having her own product she's working on. This is gonna lead to her, to someone else working for her Right, so that's where I see Tiffany Boone. She's on th- that show she's doing on, on Showtime. She leaves the show, but she's she's then now on like Hunters on Amazon. She's on Little Fires Everywhere, right? So you start to see these little fruits of people who are getting opportunities because somebody believes in somebody else's idea. And we're starting to see the fruits of what it means to actually have diversity in Hollywood. They're showing up in amazing projects and doing amazing things. And, and this one lineage that just goes back to Aziza's show. It's like you watch sports, right? It's like it's like a coaching. Right, right. So and so coached under Mike Holmgren, and they were an assistant coach, and then they're great, and then they have a coaching team, and then they're great. And these, along the way, people won Super Bowls, and they've won rings, and they've been great coaches. But it started with someone giving them an opportunity to then create opportunity for other people. That's a really good point. I like the the way you look at that with that lineage, and that you know, of course, with the the sports comparison is a great example. So a, a lot of what's been happening in the last couple of years with Academy voters adding in you know a little bit of diversity to the voting body, they added a bunch of people, but when you look at the overall percentage, it's still mm-hmm. pretty skewed, you know, a certain way. But I, I think 
that's a was a really good starting point like kind of the way you're referencing of of now that's going to be able to to take a big step forward from from there when it comes to voting like you got to get people to watch these films you you witnessed it this year right a lot of stuff coming in and there's so much you can watch and if they're looking at something and they're saying if i'm not looking any deeper and i see this film it looks like something i might not be interested in i'm just not going to watch it if it's a modern story about women or people of color maybe i'm not into it but i watch a war film I'll do all that stuff, and that's because that's the voting body. And they do their best to set up screenings and do all of that, And it, but they're sending screenings to people's homes, and people just aren't watching it. Yeah, it I feel like there should be some type of a obligation that people are under to, to watch as, as many as possible, because I know uh, Little Women suffered a lot just because a lot of people even said vocally out yeah. there in the public saying, hey, I, I just wasn't interested in that movie. I wasn't interested it was, in it. It was made by a woman and featuring a, a woman, you know, a group of women <laughs> in a period piece. I'm I'm cool with it. You know, and I'll be honest with you that if you put five different movies in front of me, like a Star Wars, a Marvel, a couple yeah. others, and a Little Women, Little Women might be low on my priority scale out of those five movies. But I still want to check it out. I still want to see what what's going on there. So I think if if you are willing to take on the responsibility of being an Academy voter or somebody like you and I, we're members of the Seattle Film Critics Society, there should be some accountability there as well on some level to to give lots of different films a chance. Yeah, that's what I think, you know, when I, every year during award season, I enjoy other Critics Society Awards because I think it's more representative of what people actually enjoy and what they actually watch. Like, I, I appreciate our not when our nominations come out, what we've nominated, because it's always all over the place. But yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. I don't know if there's a, there's a quick fix for it. I think diversifying the, the Academy is, is a start. Shaming people isn't going to help. They tried that with the Oscar So White. They don't care. Right, right. Like, you know, they don't, none of that's gonna work. You just have to put in more people into that voting body and get them engaged and involved and find a way to get people excited about things. But I think as our world evolves and people change, I think people or you know, it's gonna be tougher to be resistant to that type of storytelling. I mean, I think part of it will still be in people, but I think uh, the more engaged people are with what's happening around them, in life, I think they're gonna be forced to sort of engage in these films that are sort of representative of that that change. You really hit it on the head there, and it goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of our conversation, is it's all about community. And it's all about people being willing to communicate, being willing to discuss different ideas, and just to have participation rather than drawing lines in the sand and saying, you know, here's where I stand and, and that's the only answer, no matter what side that's coming from. I think if everybody starts to look at it as, hey, we're all part of something here, rather <laughs> than, you know, those people are doing that, those people are doing that, I'm doing what I'm doing. Hey, everybody's doing their part to move this forward. If people look at it in that respect, I think that's where the real change is going to come from. And I also think a lot of it falls on us as critics to make sure that we're sounding the alarm about these films that we love right. and aren't necessarily talking about. That we do our best to, to uplift young actors and actresses and, and people who we see doing great work. Whether it's missing them on Twitter or following them on their social media or writing about them or trying to reach out to interview them doing any and everything you can to sort of like, if it's something you believe in, like don't do it just to do it for the look. Like if, you, if it's an actor or an actress that you really think is great, do it. I remember seeing, what's my man who was in Watchmen this year? Yeah, yeah. I remember right. seeing him years ago, I'm like, man, he's great. He was on the get down. And then he, yep. yeah, he was. And I was like, oh man. And then now to see him, he's in Candyman, he was on Watchmen and him getting this run is great. 
But even someone like Lakeith, I'll never forget seeing Lakeith in uh, what was that? What was that movie he was in? The indie film early on. Uh, <laughs> what was it called? I'm not Don't let me space on this name. I remember seeing him in it and being like, oh man, he was great in that. Because he was in it, Brie Larson was in it, Rami Malek was in it. I'm looking it up real quick and I can always edit this a little bit, but- nah, No, keep it in, keep my gaff in there. I want people to know. I spaced on the name. Let's see, Short Term 12? Short Term 12. Yep, there we go. I remember seeing him in Short Term 12 and being like, that kid is a star. And he was a kid in that. Like, he is a star. He was, did you ever see the movie? Oh yeah, yeah. He's great in that. And then to see him then go from that to like being in Atlanta, being all these other things that he's, you know, he's a nice out and he's getting these opportunities. He was just in that movie with Issa Rae, that, that romantic comedy, even something like oh, that. The photograph. No, the, the photograph was phenomenal. But something like the photograph, right? It's just a love story about two people. Yep. Exactly. It just happens to have a mostly black cast, but that's it. Like, it's a great love story. It's it's every rom-com. I've been watching with your rom-coms the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Every other rom-com I've seen. It's unrealistic. They all live in these massive places in New York City. Everyone gets around everywhere they want. People have money to just fly everywhere in the world. It's the mess, right? It's the whole sort of like predictable mess. But I love that it's, it's them. It's just two young people who look like people I know doing this this time. What would you say are a couple movies, TV shows that you would really want people to see you know, in this topic that, that we've been talking about, or just anything that you want people to see out there that may not be getting the shine that it should with movie, TV show, what have you? Well, Short Term 12, if you've never seen that, I would highly recommend seeing it. I know a lot of people yeah. have I will start there. Short Term 12 was great. And what am I watching that people haven't really seen? Attack the Block is another thing. Young John oh, Boy. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, people need to see Attack the Block, especially sci-fi fans. That's, that's block. such a good movie. It's, it's great. I'm, surprised, I'm still surprised I know so many people who haven't seen it. What else? I saw The Devil. It's a crazy Korean film. You seen that? Yes, I know what you're talking about. I saw The Devil. It's insane to me. To me, that's a really big untapped resource as well, because to me, Korean cinema is phenomenal. If we want to talk about strong female leads, did you see The Villainous? The villains is crazy. And it's got so many amazing shots. Like that shot of her in the bathroom with yep. snack in the wedding dress is, yep. I love that shot. It is, it is <laughs> a, I love the villains. The villains is crazy. It's, I mean, I think once you start getting into it, I think you'll see, man, there's so many different cultures. Like I told my friends, Booksmart was funny. And our friend flew somewhere. He was like, yo, that was hilarious. I watched on the planes. It was pretty hilarious. <laughs> like give these movies. It's an hilarious movie. Give these movies an opportunity to, to sort of just live in them for a little bit and give them a shot. Just watch them and, and see what you think. You'll be surprised what things stick with you and what things resonate. And you'll start to sort of pull back those layers and be more open to films that you may not think are for you, that it will bring you so much joy and start very interesting conversations and sort of open their eyes up to a whole. And I also think the thing that's also smart that I think the film has the ability to do is open people up to a world they don't know anything about. All right. So we often look at think of documentaries in that way because that's what they do. But there are things that will open people's eyes to like, I didn't know people live like this. I didn't know that this was a thing. But yeah, it opens your eyes up to like the ways in which people live and the experiences that people have had that may be different than yours. I think that's the thing that will connect us more than anything is, you know, even if you saw it in a film learning that like, yo, people live like this or 
this is the ways in which people have survived abuse. This is the ways in which people deal with mental health. These are the ways in which racism has impacted people. These are the ways in which music or sports has really given somebody life. It can be anything that you can pull from. But the more you watch film, the more opportunities you get to see, you know, these different life experiences, I think the better, more rounded person you are. Thanks for putting it that way. It's a great way to wrap it up. I'll have all of this stuff linked on uh, the website page for this podcast yeah, episode, yeah. but tell people again where they can find you. They can find me in the streets. No, they can find me <laughs> at, uh, People's Critic on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, which I still kind of use, the People's Critic blog, uh, dot com, and the People's Critic on the Seattle PIs website. You can find me on there. Tim, thank you so much for talking to me. A lot of great insight, a lot of good conversation as always. And, you know, hopefully as we move forward, I'll, I'll have you on again. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening and thank you to Tim Hall for being part of the show. Episode 9 of the 206.com Diversity and Film podcast series will be released on Monday, June 29th. The episode will feature Aaron Hunley, who is a Seattle-based lifestyle blogger, a film critic, a world traveler, and a podcaster. Make sure to mark your calendar and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any of the remaining episodes in the series. Also, if you need to catch up on any of the previous episodes, you can find them on 206.com and through most major podcast outlets. If the podcast outlet you are using has a podcast rating option, please consider leaving a positive review and please share the podcast with your community. As always, thank you for your support and thank you for listening to the 206.com Diversity and Film Podcast Series.